sing glory! Picking up from where we left off, this is part two of a two-part episode with communications consultant, content creator, and founder of House of Notoire, Cynthia Ritzma. Accommodation, promotion, speakers, activities, the whole shebang. A retreat is no joke, and all within the matter of four months. Somehow, some way, this lady pulled it off. Today, the Global Sisterhood House of Notoire functions on a retreats basis for women. So if your office environment is starting to feel a little drab, she's got you covered. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before Cynthia took House of Notoire Global, she worked in communications, doing both time within the Southeast Asian as well as the European luxury market. Takeaway, yes, I want my personal and professional life to be this exotic highlight reel, but there are some arduous roadblocks to living and working abroad, especially when you throw freelance into the mix. This is When Women Come Together with Cynthia Ritzma. Well, before we dive back into your current baby, House of Notoire, um, I'd like to discuss your background in communications consultancy and given your work in the European and Southeast Asian market, do you feel that the values placed behind consumer engagement differ in how they structure their branding or is it pretty much the same across the board or are there stronger things that you've picked up on that are a stark contrast to how the Europeans kind of handle it? Yeah, um, it's definitely two uh, entirely different markets. However, I feel like they're getting closer together because the Asian or Southeast Asian market, of course, wants to copy whatever the Western society is doing. Um, I would say having experience working both in... Um, in Europe and in Asia, in the communications industry, um, you go the extra mile for the South Asian industry, the South Asian consumer, because I feel, this is a personal opinion, um, that they want to be catered to more than um, the European market. I namely, uh, mainly worked in luxury, and the luxury industry is, wow, it's a world on its own. And, for example, with luxury goods, I feel that in Southeast Asia, the consumer is a bit more fast-paced. They want the latest of the latest, they want it um, so they belong, they want it to kind of show off in a sense without, and I mean this in, in a positive light, but they want to be the first, whereas in the luxury industry, in the European market, I feel that they buy into luxury goods more for the memory for the investment for a more sentimental value so when it comes to communicating it is entirely different when it comes to creating campaigns uh, or, or press releases the approach is entirely entirely different um also in southeast asia we have many more holidays than in uh 
uh, in Europe or in the Netherlands at least. So there's always a moment to tap into that, whether it is a religious holiday or any other. They really use each of those moments to tap into their consumer again, to uh, provide them with another excuse, so to say, to purchase uh, purchase a product. Um, But yeah, I've enjoyed working in both markets. I would just say that, especially in the Netherlands, the approach has less frills and is a bit more down to earth, whereas in Asia, everything is... um, glammed up a bit more um and you can play into the fantasy of living in a luxurious world a bit more than you can in the netherlands um but i've worked in other industries as well uh, like fashion beauty uh, f&b food and beverages um, hospitality and i would say overall it is the same. So in Asia, you go the extra mile. Um, you are a bit more, I don't want to say frivolous <laughs> per se, but oh, how to explain this? Because it's a very sensitive market. It's also a very fast paced market. So you just need to be on top of things when, when you're dealing with the Southeast Asian market. Also, especially Indonesia. I don't know if they are currently still holding that position. But at one point when I was living there, they were the number one country in the world to use social media and the internet. So they would do, they were far ahead when it came to purchasing products on Instagram, for example. Nowadays you have systems that need to, that you can uh, click and purchase your product with you you're forwarded to an online shop or or whatever but back then they would just post the products on instagram and they would have different other other social media um, apps like for example whatsapp or line which is another um chat app to purchase products so you would just go online and go to your their instagram page and say okay i've picture number four which is maybe a uh, handbag or a pair of sunglasses whatever um can you i want to purchase it i could um paypal you or venmo whatever people were using at the time the money and uh, bring a driver to my house or something that we have in Indonesia is called a Gojek, which is a Uber, but on motor, motorcycle, scooter, and bring it to um, del- have it delivered to my house. So everything is accessible. And I think that we're slowly growing into that, especially when it comes to food. You see that with Uber Eats yeah. or, you know, whatever. But in Indonesia, this has been their normal for years. You can call any restaurant and have a Gojek, so a scooter, drop it off to your house uh, within, I don't know, 15 minutes. And that's what everyone does, or a lot of people do at least. Yeah, the level of, of efficiency is next level. Yeah, definitely. They are they are way ahead of us. Yeah. Way ahead. So that's why I think for young um, professionals coming from a Western society are now moving to Asia a lot or have been for the past five years at least um, and doing all their internships there because it's 
a great industry and a great market to learn at a rapid pace and they have uh, many more job opportunities for you there as well especially to grow within a company and where did you like working the best here or in asia in terms of having a stable salary definitely here <laughs> in terms of work life um value um asia I feel, well, Asia will always be home to me, especially in Indonesia, because I've spent my um, childhood years there and my young adult years there as well. So um, I just have very fond memories of it. And because I love to travel, it's a great place to uh, travel from and to. So it's easy. It's, it's normal to live in Indonesia, for example, or in Singapore and just spontaneously take a very cheap Air Asia flight to uh, the Philippines or to Bali or to Malaysia. Oh, the life. Uh, yeah, the life. And that's just like, oh, what should we do this weekend? Shall we just go to this exotic island? Why not? And you can just have a round trip for 50 euros or maybe 100 max. If you're lucky, you can even have a round trip for 30 euros. So in terms of balancing work and life I definitely miss working in Asia however what I don't miss is that it's quite a hassle especially as an expat if you are not being invited to the country on expat terms you are often offered a local salary and as a western person you're just not used to having a 40 hour a week job and being paid 300 euros yeah uh, Unfortunately, that is what the locals earn there, more or less. I'm hoping that it's improving, but yeah, that, that is very tough. And I spent my, um, so I moved back to the Netherlands um, four years ago, um, and I was hoping until the last moment to have a job in, in uh, South, Af South Africa, Southeast Asia. Um, I had different freelance gigs, but nothing quite steady. And that was just the final straw for me to, I was led on by a company for five months and they took all my ideas and all my plans and ended up not hiring me. But then a few months down the line, I saw that they just implemented everything that I told them. And that for me was just like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to deal with Asia at the moment. I need to spend some time here in the Netherlands or Europe at least and I was lucky and fortunate enough to get a, an amazing job opportunity at a young age and um, yeah built up a quite a nice solid career which I decided to leave last year but it was uh, for different reasons so yeah def I don't know I, I like both but I would choose Asia if I could have a, a steady job yeah Well, with all this in mind, your current focus, House of Notoire, um, I kind of want to know what the mind map was behind the name, first of all. <laughs> okay, <laughs> get ready to laugh. <laughs> well, so what I used to do back in the day, there were different social media platforms here in the Netherlands, like CU2 and Hives and PP2G for all my Dutch listeners, <laughs> and Um, those were kind of MySpace profiles, so to say. And what I did was 
always find a back door into the website to encrypt like different codes and I would always customize my page and uh, I would use that platform to reflect my interests and do a a bit of storytelling more than just hey this is my name my number I like uh xyz bands or whatever and then one day a friend of mine said um hey Cynthia you know what you should start a blog the name was and don't laugh Miss Notoriously Addictive horrible name Miss because I'm a girl I was a young lady And Notorious, because I was a huge Notorious B.I.G. fan and a huge old school hip hop head. And then Addictive came from my friend because she said, when I told her, why should I start a blog? She said, everything you say, do, advise on those other platforms is so addictive. So just reading your perspective, I could read that any day at any time. So that's how Miss Notoriously Addictive came to play. Used that name for three years, and I uh, turned 20, and I thought, 2021, and I thought, okay, now it's time for me to mature. So I didn't entirely want to let go of my previous name, but I knew that I had to make it sound a bit nicer and chicer. So that's how House of Notoire came to play, and it sounded more or like a brand, and What I wanted to do at that time was really turn that platform into a brand, into a household name. Um, So that's how House of Notoire came about. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's deeply rooted. (laughs) Very deeply rooted (laughs) from a strange, strange name, but... Yeah, it sounds it sounds a bit fancier now, yeah. And yeah, one of my dreams is definitely to have a physical house uh, of notoire um, starting here in Holland or in the Netherlands and then just having all over the world, which basically is one big creative space for people to come and uh, work on their dreams and their uh, passion projects together with us. Ooh, that's definitely something I'm going to touch on in a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, but when we first connected over House of Notoire, you kind of explained it in a way that it really stemmed from your inner voice, and I'm sure I'm going to receive eye rolls for saying that, but what was that moment of conception like? What were kind of your doubts concerning House of Notoire, and how did you go about tackling these? My doubts? Um... Well, like I said, the whole process of creating House of Notoire came very natural to me because it didn't feel like something um, that I was obliged to do or because I saw other people doing it, but because some voice inside of me said, you have to, this is you, this is your vision, kind of. And um, my doubts were just, is my vision crazy? Will people understand? Will anyone even be interested? Um, yeah, I I never really worried too much if the main or mainstream understood what I was doing, but my doubt was if there was just at least one person out there that would understand what I'm doing and could connect and relate to it. And I don't want to create House of Notoire just to like force feed people into what my vision and what my taste is. 
um, um, in different subjects, but I wanted to be there to help other people as well and inspire other people as well. And, and we started House of Natoire, or I started House of Natoire to create a platform for others. I never did it for myself. Um, so yeah, I just, my doubt in the beginning definitely was if there was anyone out there that would want to connect themselves to it or understood what what we were doing. And that is something that I still play with or have my doubts about every day with each new idea that, that I come up with to implement in, in the company because um, I'm kind of an ideas machine and I'm also a person that once I have an idea, I just want to do it right away. Um, and that's why House of Notoire has had many shapes and forms throughout these past eight years. But, uh, yeah, some, I've also definitely learned that not every idea needs to be implemented right away. Like, sometimes you need to take your time and have a certain idea or project take its course, and then you gradually grow from that. Not everything has to be rushed, and that is something that I had to learn over time. Um and that is something that has made me feel overwhelmed as well in uh, practicing the things that we've been doing with House of Notoire because I've always had this huge to-do list of, and I'm talking about a to-do list of 100 plus things to do in a day. And that is not normal for anyone. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I definitely learned to reel it back in and um, yeah, take things one step at a time. And that has helped me to have less doubts because um, you can focus on fewer things, but that might have a bigger impact. And then with those smaller projects or just fewer projects, you can also focus your time more into your uh, community. So that has helped me um, connect with my community and see you know, what they like, don't like. Um, and how they want to grow together with us. Because I definitely see House of Natoire as a process of growing together with our community. It's not just growing uh, as a company on its own. Yeah. Uh, the, voice, the voice of our community is very important to us. Yeah, you hosted your first retreat in Marrakesh last year. Um, yeah. And I'd love to know why you chose to do retreats as a means by which to connect women. Because I see a lot of people... They kind of kickstart their own communal office space, and I'm interested in hearing what prompted you to choose retreats as your environment of connection and not creating, say, a physical space first. So uh, the idea came to me somewhere around, I think it was July, July, August of 2017, and... um, at the time, I was just finishing off my um, work at a luxury company that I will not name, but it was a luxury company. And um, we were having a conversation with a colleague that just went on a retreat, a sports retreat to Ibiza. And she was telling me how in a week week's time, it was kind of like a boot camp to drill themselves into a better physical form of who they are. And they were telling me about all the activities that they did and how they really connected with people. And 
um, just had a very, uh, had an amazing time in, in, in a week's time. And I thought right then and there, like, wow, that is actually exactly what I want to do, except for the sports part. <laughs> so um, in terms of travel is such a huge element of House of Natoire. And I would love to have a space abroad. I've always said that I wanted different houses of Natoire internationally and I want to connect with people and I want women to connect with each other. So those three elements, I kind of had an aha moment when I heard about a retreat. Of course, this was not the first time I've ever heard about a retreat in my life, but in that very moment, it was like something clicked. And right away, I saw the entire plan of what this retreat was supposed to look like. And um, I called my business partner at the time for a meeting and explained what we um what i thought we should do and she liked the idea but didn't see it being a realistic idea as i still wanted to do it that year you have to think about you need at least a few months to organize the whole trip to yeah. get the accommodation to do the promotion to figure out which activities to do to have the speakers and so on and so on and we um kind of started organizing everything in august and we're going to host the retreat in november so that's you know not a lot of time and we um also had to find people that wanted to attend the retreat in the first place. So it was a challenge and she had her doubts and something inside of me said, no, we're going to pull this off. This is going to happen. And we did. We ended up being 11 girls in total um, coming from uh, the States, from the Netherlands, France, South Africa. So it was a global group of women as well all with different backgrounds, all with different uh, professional backgrounds as well. And we pulled it off in just a few months' time. Um, and it was a great start for us to still practice with having international houses, but not it being permanent, so to say. So it's a great way for us to see whether... There is an interest for women to attend these retreats. Thankfully, there is, because this year we're hosting our second and third. Um, and also to see what our community needs and how they want to connect with each other and which skills they want to acquire. So, yeah, it was a very fast-paced process, but something that was just very organic and very um, true to what House of Notoire is and what we want to do. Yeah. Did I answer your question? completely yeah when we use these retreats as a home away from home now and hopefully i don't know in how many years but hopefully less than five <laughs> um we will have our physical places where we can not only host those retreats and it but it also being a permanent place for these creatives for these just any woman that wants to have support or inspiration or a safe space to have a place anywhere in the world. I don't know how many houses we're having, but anywhere in the world to feel at home. I yeah. Think, yeah. To me, that is just, yeah, such a valuable and very 
beautiful thing to think about because since I've traveled a lot and had to call a lot of places my home, but they were never permanently my home, it's just great to have a place where you can come to, even though it's the first time, and just feel at ease and yeah. feel well. So, yeah. And having, like, people in place already there to just be that cushion that you kind of retreat to, even though you don't you don't necessarily know them. It's like after high school, it's so hard to facilitate, like, relationships and be yeah. in an environment that you're all kind of on the same playing field. Absolutely. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure this episode has already answered enough, but I'd like to hear in your own words why you are good at what you do. Ooh, you're putting me on the spot. Why am I good at what I do? The first thing that comes in mind is three words. One is honesty. One is a good listener and knowing how to implement what you hear and what people need. And the third is perseverance, determination, relentlessness. Um, so with those three elements, I use that in, in all facets of my professional life and also in my personal life. But for example, with consultancy, it is something that I was doing for many years but I was unaware that I was consulting people because it was just a passion of mine to help people find uh, their path to a better version of themselves. Not necessarily that they have to be better, but how to use their talents that they already have, but they might not see and know how to implement that. I'm, I've realized that I'm always the go-to person for advice, for seeing things clearly. And that's where a good listener comes into play and uh, knowing how to adapt any issues or questions that they have or whatever they're facing and finding a very clear and concise way for them to implement um, what it is that they need. Um, and the determination is definitely a huge part of House of Notoire. Like I said, I've been doing it for eight years and I've paused it and started it again, but I've never stopped it because I knew that there is a bigger purpose for this company and for the community. Even if there was no House of Notoire, I would still be doing what I'm doing in some shape or form. And I will never let that go. <laughs> well, I definitely feel that House of Notoire, it's, it's more than just a business. As you said, a reflection of your life and your values and what you stand for. Yeah. And you've just translated that. And it's like an extension of yourself. Definitely. But that's what, what makes it hard for me to explain as well sometimes what it is. I've had to rewrite the about page of House of Notoire multiple times. Oh, the about pages, Yeah. Yeah, because it was just so something that is so natural for me. And now I've simplified it for myself and for others. It's it's connecting women worldwide. It's a hub for women worldwide through our events, retreats, and storytelling. But actually, it's just a magical space. <laughs> 
as cheesy yeah. as it sounds, but that's what it's what it's there for. It's it's a space, whether physically or virtually, for for women to create whatever magic there is inside of themselves and to create it together. That's basically the core. Yeah, I love that. It's hard to bring words like magic into a business workspace and to have people kind of frown upon your ideas exactly but as you said it's hard to use a word like magic but it's truly what it is because that's what happens when women come together i always i always say when women come together that want to help each other uplift each other inspire each other and are there for genuine reasons magic happens every single time whether in a small or a bigger form, it's there. There's an electricity around us, the amazing beings that we are. And um, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing if you can help each other. Yeah, and that's definitely magic. It doesn't matter what anyone says, it's definitely magic. Exactly. <laughs> this is Cynthia Ritzma at Guts and Glory, and I'm signing off. This was When Women Come Together with Cynthia Ritzma. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.